It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Monday afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton from our studios based in San Diego. We welcome you to Bonus Coverage, our special podcast coming off a great sports weekend, along with my co-host, John Riley. It's kind of breezy and hot out there in left field, so we brought him in studio. It's going to get hot in studio this afternoon, and John We want fans to respond because we're going to dedicate the Monday Bonus Podcast to what's right, what's wrong, what has to happen with the San Diego Padres. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. personally, but as a Padre fan, I'm going out of my mind. And, I, and I've and i been following Padre Twitter and people, all the fans are upset. So this is, yeah, a great time for the fans to sound off today in the Fans Forum. Yeah, Fans Forum, when we're done... We will go take your questions and comments. So, John, explain to them how they join us on the live stream. Get their feelings, their statements read and heard with fans form. Okay, so, yeah, you want to sound off. You're upset with Preller, Melvin, Seidler, Manny. Tatis, whoever you have a concern about, type in your comment or your question in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. This is all Padres today. And uh, by the way, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. And a reminder, go to my website. That's the address right at the top of the screen, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, because you want to read my one man's opinion column that I wrote. It's posted right now. You get all the other stuff that made our talk show so legendary. Best 15 minutes in sports, Hacksaw's headlines, Hacksaw's mini polls. Check the website sometime today and make sure you check my one man's opinion column. Ready? Set, I think so, yeah. Go. Question okay. one. Okay, here we go. This is the big board for the Padres here. I mean, what do you think of these overall grades, Lee? Well, we are at midseason almost. By the time they get done with the series in Pittsburgh, they will be at the midseason spot on the schedule. Not a good first half. Uh, I usually hand out my report card, midterm report, and then I do one at the end of the season in October. So we thought because today is bonus coverage and everybody's got an opinion on the Padres, we would give you our midseason grade. Padres overall, I give them a C. They're sub 500. I can't do any more than that. I'm not going to read anybody's baseball cards at this point in time. (laughs) You are what your record says you are. And right now, they're in fourth place. Right now, they are the eighth team fighting for three wild card spots. There's seven others they would have to jump to really be a factor. Now, granted, they've got half a season to play. But we've been saying that since yes. they broke camp in the Cactus League, and we said it in the end of April, we said it in May, and now we're doing here at the end of June. I may like the players. I think there's a lot of talent on that roster. But I give him a C because you are what your record says you are. Starting pitching, I give him an A. A lot of quality starts buffeted by Blake Snell's emergence. This is not the type of Blake Snell we have seen in a long time. This is the 21-4 and Blake Snell in Tampa Bay. Really dominant. Last 36 innings, he's given up two earned runs. So he has really made a difference. This rotation is pretty doggone good even though Musgrove has had his health issues. But virtually everybody else has done a good job. So I'm giving the starters an A. I'm giving the relievers an A, for the most part, because of what Josh Hader has accomplished. Almost 20 saves in the first half of the season, which is spectacular. Uh, And granted, there's been a little bit of slippage, some odd bad games, but they have used Stephen Wilson and Tim uh, Hill so much And more times than not, those guys have been rock solid and trustworthy. So I'm going to give the starters an A, 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 the relievers an A, too. Defense. I don't know if you like silver sluggers or whether you just prefer gold gloves. It's been a fabulous first half of the season defensively. What Manny Machado has done at third base, I think this is better this year than we've ever seen. And he's been rock solid with the glove. Soto has gotten progressively better. Grisham 
trace, uh, chases down all types of fly balls in all area codes. Tatis can play right field. Now, he runs into fences, and sometimes it's a bit of an escapade out there, but he can play right field. So overall, I'm giving the defense an A. I think the catchers are a little suspect, although they've improved a little bit throwing runners out. Offense, I'm sorry. you got all these names in neon lights and have all been short-circuited. There's only one guy that's hitting to his career batting average, and that's Tatis. Uh, everybody else is sub where they normally would be statistically career-wise. Offensively, I'm just going to give them a letter grade of D. They got half a semester to fix that grade, and they're going to have to turn in some good performances because you got to have a lot of four for four, five for seven at bats to be able to haul your batting average up. Got a lot of work to be done there. I give them a D. That's what I say, John. You. You have any opinions from left field? What kind of letter grade are you going to give each of those categories? Yeah, I think overall I, I'd give them a C minus because they're below five hundred. Um, the starters, I think, with the exception of, of Weathers, has been pretty good. You know, even they brought in that knuckleballer a few nights ago. He did all right. So the the pitching isn't the issue. The relievers, I agree. Wilson and Hill have been generally good. Hills had a few moments where he hasn't been that sharp, but. Some of the other guys in the bullpen, like Garcia, you know, it's kind of a, you're not sure what you're going to get each time. We're still missing Suarez. I have no idea what in the hell's happened to Pomeranz. So who knows there? Um, yeah, defense, definitely an A. Boy, Soto, you know, ran into the wall. You know, Tatis has got a bunch of uh, outfield assists. Yeah, you got four shortstops in the infield. That's good. But yeah, the hitting's terrible. I mean, I think the D is generous. I would go D minus or F on the hitting. It's just horrible. Well, I, they got a lot of work to get done the second half of the season. They got 80-plus games, not to say that they can't get hot. But the problem is, John, they got a lot of teams that they're going to have to vault over. So you and I kind of agree on most things. You're a little bit more effusive in your criticism than I am, but there's still time for you to come around. Okay, okay let's go to question number two. Okay, so this is kind of gets down to the executives and the leaders of this of this organization. How do you grade all the big shots? Hey, Jay Preller, he's been doing this for a decade now since he got here. Here's a stat for you. And I, it took me a while to dig this up last night. Under his guidance as general manager of the Padres and head of baseball operations, the Padres record is 668 and 766. Wow. 98 games under 500 in a decade under A.J. Preller. That's with all the free agent signings, all the trades, all the international signings, all the high draft picks. They're 98 games under 500. And by the way, if you look to the right, they don't really have anything at El Paso, nor do they have a double-A San Antonio that you think is going to push them over the top. I give him a letter grade to C. He has traded away the farm system twice in a 10-year window. And where are we? 37 and 41 and fighting for our playoff lives 10 years in to his blueprint. Uh, he's been given carte blanche. The owner has let him do everything financially he has wished to do. My gripe? He's overpaid for everybody. Hell, our executive producer, Nona, the Black <laughs> Labrador Retriever, yeah. could sign players if the dog had a free checking account. And that's what A.J. Preller has. You can go get anybody internationally if you're willing to grossly overpay. I'll give you a prime example. The three biggest investments he made in the draft and in international free agency are Adrian Morion. Mm -hmm. That cost him $22 million dollars. He's hardly gotten anything accomplished because the kid is always hurt. Jorge Onia, Cuban outfielder, is at double-A in Scufflin. That was a $14 million investment. He's born no fruit at all. And Cal Quantrill out of Stanford, $14 million investment to keep other people away from him. Got him, brought him here, pitched okay, traded him away. He's one of the frontline guys in Cleveland. That's the kind of investments that Preller has made that have not panned out. And that does not include Matt Kemp, Justin Upton, Melvin Upton, Hector Oliveira. I mean, the amount of money he has burned through with gambles, mistakes, or paying people 
to take this guy off my hands. It to me, it is just absolutely staggering. And this all comes into the equation. So I'm sorry, Rockstar GM, uh, one hit wonder. I don't even know if that even fits any longer. And I, I think the other the other piece of the equation in a ten year window, John. We've had about two and a half months of really electric baseball a year ago and then beating the Dodgers in the playoffs. That's the extent of 10 years of A.J. Preller's leadership. 10 years and we've had two and a half to three months of, wow, baseball. Mm -hmm. So much expectation, so much failure or disappointment, at least this season. So based on his composite record, almost 100 games under 500 and the fact they got to the playoffs and they did beat the Dodgers, but that was the extent of what 10 years of investment is. I give them a letter grade to C. I don't know if that's too harsh. That's my opinion. I've never called in all the years of a new in sports talk radio through good teams and bad teams and all that. I've never called for anybody's firing. But I'm just saying the word accountability has to come front and center as it relates to that general manager. And I like him. I've had a good relationship with him. But... The end of the day, scoreboard does not lie. Go ahead, your response. See, I I think Preller gets too much heat. I mean, compare what life was like as a Padre fan before AJ Preller was here. We had Chris DeNorfia. We had all these like four A guys. The, no one really went to Petco. There was no sense of excitement at Petco. Since Preller has been here, the dude has built the farm. Like you say, he's traded away the farm system twice, but he's built it twice. But and, you can. You could sign anybody if you're willing to go over the checking account limit, and he always does. Yeah, but you, you still, even with within the draft, you still have a salary cap. You got to manipulate within that that framework, and he consistently gets guys like good talent at third, fourth, fifth round. So I'm, I mean, there's a lot to criticize here with this program, but to me, Preller. Went out. I mean, every time he makes these deals, we're all going, oh, this is great. We got Juan Soto. You know, the trade for Tatis was like, was fantastic, obviously. Everybody was was saying, pay the man when he signed Machado twice. Uh, pay the man when he signed Musgrove. So when he makes these deals, everyone's on board, but then they, they don't perform. And then everyone kind of has buyer's remorse. So to me, I think there are a collection of trades that haven't gone his way. The Austin Nola trade was awful, but there have been more good ones than bad ones. And overall, I would much rather be where we are in 2023 than where we were in 2013. Regardless of that, and part of what you say is true, but part of what you say is the byproduct of who owned the club before. I mean, John Moore's turned the faucet off after they got to the World Series, and he elected to get rid of the club. And prior to that, we had Tom Werner and the terrible group of 15. The only word they understood was fire sale. So, <laughs> yeah. so you, have, you have this general manager. Kevin Towers did a good job for the window that he was here through all the adversity they had to deal with, owners coming and going and budget cuts and all that, <laughs> that junk. So now you're not going to hold Preller responsible. But geez, John, there are 100 games below 500 in his 10-year run, and he's he's done it his way, and where are we? Almost 100 games below 500. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. You're entitled <laughs> to your opinion. You're wrong. That's okay. Don't argue with a talk show host. Okay, so I give Preller a C. What letter grade are you giving him? I'm going to give him a B. Okay, on yeah. we go. Next question. Okay, so the next guy in line is Bob Melvin. He's getting a ton of heat on, on Padre Twitter right now. Uh, Bob has served loyally to a lot of people. He's been in a lot of strange situations. I mean, he was in Texas where there was ownership turmoil. He was in Seattle where they were trying to find their way post Ichiru Suzuki. The mess that is the Oakland Athletics, and he did not lose his mind there. He did the best he could humanly do. Comes here with the expectation. Hasn't worked out. It's amazing to me. I will guide you through what I think is going on because some of my sources have indicated to me there is a rift. And, you know, we've talked about the, quote, Fisher in the clubhouse. I'm not, I don't know if it's necessarily a player player. I think it might be manager, general manager, and the baseball ops people. Hmm. I think there's a lot of interference from up top about your batting order and what you're doing and how you use your pitchers. I don't know if he's a manager or if he's robo-manager being instructed what to do. 
Um, I, he won't talk about it. Preller has totally disappeared. Doesn't talk to anybody in the media now. Um, I think Bob's got his hands full. Would they hit the eject button? Uh, I give him a letter grade of C only because he's been victimized by the guys on the field that are not producing to the level they produced prior when they got the big money contracts. But is he too nice of a guy? That's something I think you got to consider. Does he run a tough clubhouse, a demanding clubhouse? Should there be more public accountability on these players? Or do the players just not care? Because I got my money. Did you get yours? <laughs> it's a, I think it's a big issue beneath the surface. We'll say this. If they hit the eject button on this guy, are you going to trust the general manager who got a letter grade of C to hire the next manager, considering the four managers that he's dealt with since he came here in 10 years and none of them have worked out? Big issue to me. So keep that in mind. Um, I, I would like to see Melvin get vocally tougher on his players and put the pressure on them. You know, we see it work. We saw it work with Whitey Herzog. We've seen it work with the guys that ran the Yankees. Um, I, I just think there needs to be a firmer hand and a more demanding hand from those people up top. I'm not going to fire Melvin, but at the end of the day, Things aren't working out here. I give him a letter grade to C, too. Go ahead. Yeah, so this is a tougher one because there have been a lot of things that aren't going right. When we hired Melvin, everyone was ecstatic. Everyone thought this is great. We got like an A1 manager. This guy's a former manager of the year. But now we start to learn more about what's going on. And like Skip Schumacher, who was the assistant coach or bench coach. He was the bad cop to the good cop that is the manager. But he he made some remarks recently talking about the friction that existed between coaches and maybe the coaches and like you said the the uh the the off the front office management. So there's clearly something going on there that we're not really hearing uh completely about. But Melvin to me you, you can question some of his moves like you know when he brings in Luis Garcia and he blows up or sticks with Tim Hill too long. But he's missing a lot of bullpen pieces and he can't keep going to the well all the time with Wilson and Hill. So I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily think Melvin is the problem, but I think there's more going on behind the curtain that we just can't see. I also tend to think, and I always fear about this because of the metrics and because of the quote, vice presidents, plural of analytics <laughs> upstairs. If there's too much information overload being put on the players, I don't know. I mean, how can you explain all these bats, with the exception of El Nino Tatis? Every one of those other guys is having a substandard season, and half the batting order is hitting under 220 in addition to the stars not hitting. Is there too much information overload being given to these players by the VPs of analytics. Yeah, that, that's a reasonable assumption because you got to keep it simple for the players to execute on the field. But I sometimes wonder about the approach, too, because remember for the longest time, people were talking about we need launch angle. You know, we need to get the ball in the air. But a lot of times, how many times do we see Machado pop up in the infield or in foul territory? Or swing and miss forever and ever and ever on low and outside. Yeah, the slider down away, it is tough on him. But, you know, since they banned the shift... You would think that we'd want to punch it through on the ground. It'd be a lot more holes, but it still doesn't seem like we're fully taking advantage of that. So that could go down to Melvin and the way he's kind of preparing his players to execute on these games. Is their approach at the plate the right approach? Well said. I gave him a C and your letter grade is? Uh, I'm going to go B minus. You just have to be obstinate on yeah. everything. Okay, we move on. Third question. Okay, so the, yeah, the third guy in the, in the mix here is Peter Seidler. I mean, it's hard to be down on Peter Seidler. Fine man, big baseball fan, mm -hmm. has authorized all these checks for all these players. Somewhere down the road, because he's been so successful, I'm going to reach into that dictionary and pull out that word accountability again. He's got to hold somebody accountable if this does not work out. And so far, based on what we've seen, sub-500 season, huge disappointment. This has not worked out yet. Uh, we'll say this. He's, he's spent an enormous amount of his wealth to try to put 
a quality team on the field, and they just haven't played up to the salary that they're earning. I guess I will never rationalize how you could sign guys to 10, 11, and 14-year contracts, especially guys that are 30-plus. That, to me, is, is, I don't like to say wasted money, but that's a reach too far for me. Because we know when you hit 32 or you hit 35, things start to change, whether that's bat speed or bodies break down. I have no problem with them paying the -the state-of-the-art money, what today's superstar makes. But to pay him that level through age 40 or 42, I'm not sure that's a real good business model. So I I give him a B only because he's being dragged down by what his high-paid employees are not doing in terms of production. But there's no doubt the man's heart, the man's mind is in the right place. But the length of contracts to me kind of scares me a little bit. How I mean, I can't see how anyone could blame Peter Seidler. No. I mean, considering all the horrible ownerships that we've had here, not just with Major League Baseball, with the NFL and the NBA. I mean, San Diego's had terrible ownership for decades. This guy, Peter Seidler, like you say, he's a fan. He wants to win. He wants to leave a legacy. It's incredible. I mean, we're fortunate to have him. To your point on the long-term contracts, I get that, why you're concerned, because, yeah, when they're 41, 42, they're, A, they're not going to be productive, and B, if they are playing, they're, they might even not even be playing at all. I just think the calculus is different because they're looking, if they spread that big deal over 11, 12 years, then the average annual value is, is manageable. And they know that when they get 10 years down the road, you know, the time money thing, the money will not be as much that the salary cap will have increased a lot in 10 years. And then it becomes like, you know, a bit of an anchor, but it's not going to be something that's going to drag you down for a long time. So I just think the calculus of how they do these long term deals, they do it with the understanding that their productivity may only be for seven or eight years. And those remaining four or five years might be a waste. Well said. Uh, Also, if we're using long division mathematical terms, we now have the other wild card in this whole conversation, the loss of the Bally TV money. We talked about this weeks ago Mm -hmm. and the fact back-ended loaded contracts because the TV contract was back-end loaded. Well, that $60 million per year is gone. And I'll guarantee you opening day next season when MLB creates what they hope is going to be Team 30 streaming for everybody, but it's not going to be. Will they be able to get $60 million per year? I, I don't know about that. And the other wild card yesterday was the absolute worst I've seen at Petco Park in terms of booing. They oh, yeah. just blistered the Padres. Mm-hmm. And granted, they have, you know, they're averaging 40000 plus per game, number two in all of baseball, only behind the Dodgers. You think with the huge prices that people pay to go sit along the third base line and watch their team and wear their gear and buy the beer and the dogs and all that. If this is a non-playoff season, you think those fans are going to come back? Mm. It's a big issue because the booing, I've never seen this kind of booing in the decade plus I've had at Petco Park, shiny jewel of downtown of the Gaslamp Quarter, have never seen this type of booing now. So now, now there's a whole bunch of other variables that come into the Padres and how Peter Seidler operates this. I give him a B, you give him? Oh, definitely an A. Okay, yeah. one, other, one other sidebar story. We've talked about the GM. We talked about the manager. They got a guy in the dugout that's got a track record of success. Mike Schilt. Cardinals, pretty good winning seasons in St. Louis, the Cardinal way, got blown out a year ago. Cardinals are in last place. The thing has collapsed at Bush Stadium. Would you think, because of that guy and his resume, that maybe Schilt replaces Melvin to see if they can change leadership, or is that too radical? Yeah, I don't see that happening. I think if if for something happened where you had to let go of Melvin, then I think you let go of Preller and you blow the whole thing up. Uh, because, I, I mean, Schilt, yeah, he's legit. 
But he Melvin has a better track record and a lot more credibility and a lot more respect, not just in the Padre dugout, but around the league. So but if Melvin had to go, then, yeah, Schultz, you know, even Matt Williams, he's been a manager for some time as well. So that's not a bad guy to look to. But I just can't in a million years see A.J. Preller firing Bob Melvin because he's burned, what, three managers already. And if he fires Melvin, then he's going to have to admit that he failed. Okay. Hey, before we get to statistics, let's just remind everybody about Fans Forum. This is our Monday bonus coverage. We're spending all the day talking about the Padres. Uh, How do fans get involved right at the end of our live stream podcast to be able to express opinions? make statements, fire a question at us. Yeah, so you can get involved in the fans forum. Maybe you have a letter grade for the the offense, the defense, the bullpen, or the starting pitchers, or a letter grade for Seidler, Preller, or Melvin. Drop in your comments in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in the fans forum segment. And a reminder, go to my website. I wrote a long column today, One Man's Opinion column on Padre Baseball. John's going to read it when we get done, and he'll probably call me at home and argue with me about what I wrote. But if you check my website every day, I guarantee there's a lot of stuff there that you won't find other places. And again, the address is LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You never knew the Internet would be so good. Hey, and by the way, (laughs) before we move into the second half here, thumbs up. Thumbs up to the people on live stream. We busted through the 2,000 subscriber barrier This past weekend, we got there a Mm -hmm. week before July 4th. So congrats to you people. We've been doing live stream, bonus Monday, Thursday podcast for eight months, and we busted through 2,000. So thank you very much. And by the way, share everything we do with all your friends. Give us a thumbs up. Give me, give him five stars along the way. On we go. We got statistics on the, quote, out-of-town scoreboard. Yeah, the statistics are, (laughs) this is where it gets a little bit ugly here, Lee. So let's take a look at some of these numbers. Dicey, 37 and 41 as they go into Pittsburgh. I was hoping they they would sweep Washington, sweep Pittsburgh, and push themselves back into the wild-card race. Instead, look what happened. Uh, Record's not good. As I say, there's seven teams in front of them now in the wild card chase, chasing down three positions, three wild card spots. That does not include the teams that are in first place in each of the divisions that automatically qualify. With a $253 million payroll, look at that record in one run games. When it's crunch time, they choke. Five and 13 in one run games. They haven't won an extra inning game even though the 10th inning or the 11th inning starts with a ghost runner at second base and the ability to drive a guy home. Shut out eight times. This batting order with the Fab Four at the top, shut out eight times. And at Petco Park, Boone, 18 and 22 at Petco Park. And I came across one other statistic this morning. When the Padres fall behind in the beginning of games, down one nothing to Washington or down 4 nothing to Arizona. When they fall behind in the first inning, their composite record is 8 and 30. Wow. John, the numbers don't lie. Give me your response. Oh my god. I and mean, that's just <laughs> awful. Um the, I, I it's 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 you know it's like uh, what Charles Barkley always said. That's just terrible, <laughs> you know. Or Bill Walton. That's horrible. Um, the numbers are just the runners in scoring position batting average is the one that drives everyone bananas. But it's incredible that when they fall behind, they rarely come back. So that goes maybe to the will and, and the intestinal fortitude of those players to want to be winners, or they maybe to your point, maybe they're saying, "Hey, I got my money." And I'm on cruise control, baby. It makes you wonder, like, how hungry are they? And I hate to question that amongst the character of the players, because individually, I like them all. But something ain't right. Something, something smells. And on their sleeve, they have the logo of the swinging friar. Or should I say the swinging miss friar? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right, so you don't like that set of numbers. Look at these statistics. Okay. Our midseason report card. Oh, these are just terrible metrics. I mean, yeah. look at oh. this. Team batting average is 232. Now, that's bumped up just a little bit, but they're 25th in baseball in team hitting. 25th with a $253 million payroll. Runners in scoring position, 
They're in the bunker. They're in the basement. They are dead last, hitting 204 with runners in scoring position. Runs scored with the Fab Four at the top of the lineup. Padres, 315 runs. They're ranked 25th in runs scored. They're ranked 25th in base hits. They're 5th worst in strikeouts. Swing and miss, Padres. Our number one in walks, thank you, Juan Soto. Yeah, Everybody right. <laughs> gets on base when Juan Soto is there. And they're 11th in home runs. One of the, th- the things is it's almost like a psyche thing. Oh, we're going to be okay. We'll just get a few guys on and somebody go yard. Well, they are 11th. They're kind of almost middle of the pack in home runs. But you can't play that way. No. You can put balls in play. They, as you said, they did away with the shift. Yeah. They were to be driving balls and infielders into the outfield, and it's not happening. So if you just look at those statistics, you say, how can that be with a $253 million payroll? One intangible thing, I'll throw this at you, John. We, we've talked and argued back and forth um, about the lineup. Who goes where in the lineup and how do you make it work? For the, I mean, they've tried a lot of different guys. I think they've used the number I, I want to say in, let's see. I want to say they've used like 64 different lineups mm-hmm. in almost 80 games. So there's not been a lot of continuity. They move people around. I'm curious because the top of the batting order is stacked with the Fab Four. And then you go to Cronenworth hitting 214, whatever he is, and then the rest of the guys hitting sub 220. Maybe they need to spread the big bats out and put guys, put Kim at the top and maybe Jake at second. And then you go Tatis and and then move some other people in there. So you got big bat, teammate, big bat, teammate, and try to see if you can create rallies that way. They have gotten much more aggressive in the last two weeks stealing bases. They are getting guys thrown out, but that's being aggressive. And that's the other guy making a great play. Uh, but something has to change as it relates to the batting order, because look at where we are statistically doing what they do when they stack the top of the lineup with the Fab Four. Yeah, that's that's an interesting call. I mean, lately, Kim has been at the top of the order, and I like that. I mean, he's been he's been on the upswing lately, and uh, you like his attitude and his aggressiveness on the baseball. Well, there's spunk there. It's He's become a, a me. I mean, I, I grant you Tatis owns the town. This kid might be number two in terms of popularity. Oh, yeah. The fans love the guy. And he's playing. He's hitting a lot better. So I, I, I noticed that, yeah, pro, uh, Melvin moved the lineup around. You know, it's interesting, your point. It, let, let's just say they alternated Fab Four with, a you know, one of the other guys and, and so on. I mean, imagine, though, if that turned out that you were batting Xander Bogart's seventh or Manny Machado eighth. I mean— that would be well. You wouldn't do that. Yeah, but you. But let's just pretend that you did that. That would be a huge disrespect to those stars. They'd probably be pissed. And at the same time, you'd be admitting kind of failure. So they have to kind of keep them towards the top of the lineup, just so they can stroke those egos. Because already they're they're gripping. They're trying too hard. And if you add that to the mix where you push them way the hell down the order, it's going to make it worse. Now, one of the more recent lineups, they had Cronower seven, Nelson Cruz eight. And I was like, okay, that's that kind of works because Cruz, you know, he's kind of an older dude. But if older dude's going to go over 21, they yeah. all had these stretches where you shake your head and say, how is this possible with all these guys? I keep watching these games. And I see the Padres get a guy on base. And I say, okay, big time rally coming. Because here comes a Fab Four. <laughs> yeah. Left on base, runners in scoring position. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, Manny grounds into a double play and or pops up or just, you know, just everything fails. It's the strikeouts. Just kill them. Yeah, swing and miss Padres. So they've, I'd like to see them maybe try something different with the batting order and intersperse. Maybe some proven guys, mm-hmm. you know, put Jake up there with Kim and 
mix them in the middle of the Fab Four and see if that changes something because they got to change something. Okay, final question here before we get to fans forum. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the you oh. made a comment before. Hey, check the back of my baseball card and these guys ain't anywhere near what their, their track record has been. Uh, Machado, I think, is tired of answering questions. I think we're tired of listening to same old, same old from him and see the end result. It is the worst season of his career. Uh, you know, but to make the statement, hey, media, Check the back of my baseball card. Well, I have, and I don't like what I see from that player right now, making 30 mil per year for the rest of the world and his life, and what the team is doing. So you can't hide behind what I did in the past and what you're doing now based on the weight of the contract that you have been given. So uh, most of the players have been generic, uh, but you can just sense the frustration that, you know, El Nino said Sunday night, we just got to start winning. That's all there is to it. You know, and there's all this bravado and false hope. Well, we won two in a row. We turned the corner and then Washington beat you back to back. Yeah. A um, <laughs> lot, of, lot of things here. I think the players are emotionally worn out. I think they're really feeling the pressure. You're not going to blow the roster up because you can't trade them. Nobody's taken 10-year contracts or 11 or 14-year contracts in one case. Um, and I don't know that you'd get fair value at this point in time. So, you know, I think the solution has to come from within. But, boy, there's some problems, I think, within that clubhouse, within that organization, and in the elevator going to the executive suite. Yeah, it, there's big problems there. But think about this. Can you imagine any Padre, an offensive player, that would make the all-star team? I don't think that's possible. At this point, no. You know, I, mean, I think I well, think maybe Tatis as an add-on, even though he missed so many games at the beginning. There's no doubt that what El Nino is doing in right field is really, really impressive offensively on the bases, and obviously with his glove running in defenses and chasing down fly balls. But they might still be holding the steroid thing against him too. Yeah. You know, I so, so. I, I question whether or not I think the Padre All Stars, however many we get, maybe one or two, are probably going to be pitchers. Well, uh, Josh Hader is a lock. Yeah. But, you know, after that, who knows? Blake Snell. Well, he's three and six, though, isn't he? <laughs> three and six. But what he's done is yeah. last, his last 36 innings, given up two runs. Yeah, he's been great. That's, that's vintage Cy Young Blake Snell for this 15-minute quadrant. <laughs> we'll see going forward. All right, before we go to fans form, I got one sidebar question. I'm going to just pull this one out of left field where you normally are located doing our <laughs> podcast. Um, which team has been the biggest disappointment as we get to the midseason report card. Is it Padres? Is it the Dodgers? Are they victimized by all the injuries to the pitching staff? Is it the Mets? Because they've lost virtually all their starting rotation at one chunk of time or another. Or is it the Yankees? Because there's hardly been any Giancarlo Stanton, and now Aaron Judge is hurt again, and they've had three starting pitchers gone. Yankees have Garrett Cole. That's all they have. So which of those four has been the biggest disappointment? San Diego, Dodger Stadium, Yankee Stadium, or City Field? It's definitely the Padres. I mean, I think it's even close. I mean, the, the Mets maybe would be a second place. But, you know, they, they lost their closer in the WBC, and they've had some some difficult times there. The Dodgers, generally speaking, are playing kind of where I expected them to be. Transition year. It's a transition year. They, they took a step back, you know, from a, from a business management financial approach. Maybe they look really good compared to where the Padres are. But, you know, right now the, the Dodgers are in third place. I mean, the Giants all of a sudden got hot and are in second. Um, but yeah, the Padres are by far the biggest disappointment in Major League Baseball. And if there's a big surprise out there in baseball, would it be Baltimore? Would it be first place Cincinnati? <laughs> uh, would it be who? Orioles? It's not the Pirates anymore. Who do you think has been the biggest surprise in baseball the first half of the season? Well, I think, of course, the Diamondbacks have been strong all year. Um, people are loving the energy of the Cincinnati Reds. They're a pretty exciting team to watch. I think Miami's been a bit surprising as well in the National League. You go to the American League, and yeah, the Angels and the Rangers, I think, are surprising a lot of us. Um, the Central is a, just a disaster. and the, But the fact that the NL East... And I don't know if it's true still, but at one point, every team was 500 or better. American League East, everybody is 500 or better. Yeah. So interesting who's hot 
and obviously the chunk of teams that are not. Okay, it's time for Fans Forum. Hope you've enjoyed what we do on our Monday podcast. At the end, we open it up. We give the fans a chance to join us in Fans Forum, ask a question, make a statement. We'll respond to it. John, go ahead. They're all your best drinking buddies. Tell us (laughs) what they've got to say. There are a ton of comments here. I'm hoping we can get them all in. This is from Jesse Lee Cottrell. Says, Preller is the common denominator in all of our failures. It's not all on Bob. Bob Bob, uh, sister able to hold these players accountable for not playing fundamental baseball. Well, I, I agree with almost everything you say there. I mean, this is Preller's franchise, his, his executives, his choice of manager, the fourth one that he's gone through his roster, his contracts, his philosophy in terms of whether they're playing money ball or whatever you want to call it. So I, I think it's on him. And in terms of Melvin, I want to see Melvin publicly tougher on these players. They're earning the big bucks. If it doesn't go right, they need to be held accountable. And to me, within the organization, there seems to be a lack of accountability right now based on where they are and the fact that nobody seems alarmed. Well, I think behind the closed doors in the clubhouse, oh, I'm sure there's there's some... There's some heat there, you know, and guys are getting frustrated and maybe fingers are being pointed. But but Melvin is pretty experienced and he doesn't want to throw his guys under the bus publicly. You kind of can see that in a lot of his postgame pressers. But sometimes he does get angry. And the few few times that he did get angry, he got a positive result. But then we quickly went back into the tank again. So, you know, accountability for for uh, Melvin. I mean, I don't know what else he could really do other than. You know, if it's carrot and stick, he's got to use the stick more. Or he tells them the dugout and clubhouse lineup cards, mine. Stop interfering. Ah, okay. There you go. That's not that's not a bad idea either. Okay, on we go. Next question. Okay, we got a bunch here. Let's let's see. Uh, we got. Uh... John Hopkins, he says, replacing Melvin with Schilt is a lot more probable than trading off a player. Matt Williams wasn't able to handle Bryce Harper in a start-studded lineup in Washington and was let go after two years. I concur with all that. And, of course, Matt has been fighting this cancer situation, so I don't even know if he is really up to the rigors and the demands of what a major league manager would be. You know, Schiltz, there's never been an explanation why you would blow that guy out of St. Louis after three really good successful seasons. Looks like they made a real mistake there. Look at where the Cardinals are in the standing, and they've got stars. They got Arenado, and they got Goldschmidt, and they they picked up Contreras, and they're not a complete team either. They got problems, but it's awful radical to fire a manager in midstream unless unless you feel uh, that, that the players are just walking all over Melvin and they've stopped listening, etc., and Schilt is, excuse the quote, he's a red ass. He can really be <laughs> tough on players. Yeah. He was in St. Louis. So maybe there needs to be a leadership chemistry change there. Well, you remember when Andy Green was the manager and the players did give up on him. And so that made sense where they kind of hit the eject button in September. But, um, yeah, I just I just think it's hard to get rid of Melvin. I mean, to your point, they don't have much, many options. You know, it's not like you can wheel and deal and trade guys – Preller is at the end of the line for getting another manager. There's not going to be another manager under A.J. Preller unless some miracle happens. They win the World Series and and then Preller is reanointed as the um, as the rock star. If they get rid of Melvin, Preller's done, in my opinion. Okay, on we go. Next question. Okay, so let's go here to Manny. And he says, I think the Diamondbacks winning the division and the Padres missing the playoffs should lead to a fire sale this offseason. Well, you're not going to fire sale the roster because you gave them all that money and a, a whole pile of these contracts are untradeable. You got a lot of age in that pitching staff. So I don't know that walking out in the front corner with a sign that says Jude Darvish is available makes very much sense because I don't know that you get fair value. Snell is a walk-free agent. He's pitching his life out right now. So he'll go on the open market. But again, maybe he owes loyalty here because they were loyal to him with all the crap starts for three straight years. I just don't know that we're going to have a fire sale here because I don't think they can move very many of the people. What's alarming to me is there's nothing at AAA, you know, and there's hardly anything at AA San Antonio. And that means that, I mean, there's no doubt they got some young players at Lake Elsinore, 
But, pal, that's like in another solar system. They're not ready to come to <laughs> yeah, the major right. leagues at this point in time. So what you have is what's going to have to get you to the playoffs, or what you have is going to have to have bounce-back years next year, because I don't think you can move those guys. And on top of all that, you got the luxury tax. And they don't want to go over this next tier in the luxury tax, because that wipes out draft picks, and that wipes out international signing money. So they made a commitment. All the chips get pushed to the table this year. We'll pay the tax this year, and but we can't. You can't do that three years in a row. It's just. It, I mean, look, the Dodgers did it, and the Dodgers said, "We're stepping back. We're not going to continue to do this." And the Yankees did it for a long time. Red Sox did it when they were the evil empire. <laughs> they stepped back too. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't do it from the San Diego perspective. So. I, I think it's going to be. I mean, can you imagine if the Padres try to trade uh, Manny Machado? I mean, it, it would be impossible. I mean, they'd have to eat like two thirds of that contract at least. Um, you know, they could trade Juan Soto because he still has a little bit of value. You know, in terms of. Oh, well, I think he's got significant value. Yeah, but you traded five hot young prospects to get him, and now you're going to move him? I don't think you're going to get five prospects right. back in return. And I think that's, again, I think Preller would be hesitant to do that because he would be admitting failure. And then it'd be one more step of him beginning to push out the door. So I don't see a fire sale coming. I just don't see that happening. I think they're stuck, you know, with, with these big name players. Now, one thing I think will happen that you can count on that'll be a big improvement is when Luis Campusano comes back because he can hit. And Sanchez got off to a great start, but he went back into the tank. Sanchez Nola. is Sanchez. Yeah. Occasional home run, dude hitting 202. Now, he has thrown more guys out on the bases than the other guys did collectively, but Sanchez is Sanchez. Right. And Nolo, I don't know what the hell happened to him. So Campusano, I think, is going to be a nice you know, boost to the bottom half of that order. Um, and and then we just need these guys to turn it around. But I, I just don't see a fire sale happening. We move on. You got questions. We got answers. If you agree with us, great. If you don't, too bad for you. Go ahead, John. Hey, Rome loves Dan. He says, I heard someone's coin the Strand Diego moniker. Oh, does that replace Slam Diego? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, I don't. Th- I don't think my guys Don Orsillo or Mud Grant will be using Strand Diego on TV. No, nah, I don't think so. No, but I think Padres Twitter is using it a lot. So on we go, on we go. So Emmanuel Nahara says, "I blame the team's scoreboard director for showing a crying Kershaw <laughs> after the Padres beat the Dodgers on May 5th. Since then, the Padres have been struggling." Well, you can gloat all you wish, but you're correct. I don't know what the what the one loss record is since the Clayton Kershaw crying episode is, but I bet it. I bet it's way below 500 at that point in time. So, um, you know, win with class. That's how about just winning first of all, and then win with class. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I I thought that was great when they did that because it's just because baseball is. It's a sport, but it's also entertainment, Mm -hmm. you know, and we get excited and we like a lot of the smack talking and that makes it fun. And we God, Padre fans are desperate to be, you know, on par rivals with the Dodgers. And so it just backfired in their face. A lot of people think it's bad karma. Let me ask you a question. Being a uh, deported Giants fan from the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. I recall when Barry Bonds went to San Francisco and was hitting all the home runs and looked like Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And was obviously juiced. Were you the guy down the left field line at Petco Park one night? I looked up right before the first pitch of a game with the Giants, and there was a dude on a left field foul line held up this big placard and it had the giant colors all around it, and it had a hypodermic needle. <laughs> Were you? The, was that you? Was that me? <laughs> no, you know, well, my history is is I I grew up a Giants fan as a little kid, and in the seventies when they were terrible, so I also rooted for the A's because they were pretty good then. But by the time I got to the, and I came to college here in San Diego in the eighties, by the time I got to the late eighties, like eighty nine, is when my allegiance began to shift, and uh, and so the whole Barry Bonds era was sort of you know. It, not really my giants, but still Bond's fabulous player. But yeah, the dude was on the juice. Uh, but isn't it funny how there are all these double standards, you know, is that pot, Giants fans still love Bonds. They don't care that he was on the juice. Everyone else hates him. Outside of area code 415, he has no friends. He's, exactly. You know, and so and the same thing is true here in San Diego. You know, we love Manny Machado, but everywhere he goes, you know, he's the devil incarnate. Okay. You know, you just gave me and all the people watching on live stream an answer, non-answer. 
You did not answer the question. Are you the guy no, that held up? No, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. On we go. Next question. Okay. Um, all right. So the, let's go here to, to, oh gosh, how about this one here? This is uh, from Carlos. He says, does Preller pitch? Does Melvin pitch? Players aren't playing at the capability that we are used to seeing. The word of the day. If you ever watch Sesame Street, they start the program. Says the word of the day. Yeah. Substandard. <laughs> there's your there's your one word response to it is on the players, but the manager has to has to drive these guys. And whether that's focus, that's intensity, whether that's aggressiveness on the bases, aggressiveness at the plate, changing the batting order. Some of that comes from Melvin's corner of the dugout, and that has to be part of the equation to fix substandard. I'm still stuck on the idea of substandard as a Sesame Street word. I mean, you, you're probably like Oscar the Grouch. Yes, you're, thank you. <laughs> I am right now. I'm the cookie monster, I think. Go ahead. Okay. Let's go to some of these social media comments. He's got a lot, ton of them here, and they're really good. So um, let's get these folks involved. And let's start here. Um, and this is from Robert Wood. He says, come on, dude. It's not even halfway through the season yet. Let's give us some time. Are you a fan of the team or you just want to sit there and pick them apart? Uh, what what does the scoreboard say? What's the record? 37 and 41? Yeah. What What's the record in extra innings? What's the record in one-run games? What are the metrics offensively? I'd much rather be talking about a 12-game lead at the All-Star break and everybody behind me running uphill rather than the Padres having to run uphill. You can be a fan. I have no problem, Woody, with your opinion about the Padres. But at the end of the day, they are who they are. That's what the scoreboard says. You are what your record says you are. Yeah, thank you, Bill Parcells. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in the first month of the season, we were saying, okay, it's early. Then we got into May and we're like, I don't know here. In June, you're like, this is ridiculous. And oh, my God, it's almost July now. So, th- yeah, we need to be, you know, sending off the, 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 uh, all the warning signs because they need to fix this. Well, and I will say this. They should go in and sweep Pittsburgh so that, you know, then they're going to get Cincinnati, which is playing out of its mind with all of its kids. Maybe these kids will wake up uh, in Cincinnati at Great American Ballpark and look and say, holy cow, that's Tatis and that's Soto and that's Machado in the batting order. And then maybe their pitchers are going to case of the shakes. You know, maybe the Padres will be able to put a little bit of a winning streak together here because when they come home, they get the Angels. They get Otani. Uh-huh. And they get Hunter Renfro and they get Trout. And those guys are banging the ball pretty well. And Nevin's got them playing really street ball, really down and dirty, grinded. And they scored Out. 25 runs like a few days ago. Um, yeah, so I don't know. The Padres are a tease. You know, they'll win one or two in a row. And you're like, hey, we're turning the corner. And then they lose three in a row. Okay, we move on. Give us a couple more social comments. Okay, this is from Steve Cabrera. And he says, I don't think this has anything to do with the front office. They, they put a team that could compete on the field. What more do you want? I don't see any fight from the players. They get down and it seems like they are just waiting for something big to happen. I think the manager doesn't fit with the team. Seems like a lot of messing around, smiling, and no one ready to do the dirty work to win games. I had a baseball scout email me. We were just talking about the Padres and I have guys that give me their opinions, quote, anonymously behind the curtain. And he made a comment to me that kind of blew me away when they got battered by the Dodgers in the last series, Padre guys were laughing in the dugout. And they're getting, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're getting nailed by the Dodgers. And guys are looking at each other joking. And he said, that to me is a really bad sign, which then made me think the other phrase that I've used a couple times now on our podcast. I got my money. Did you get yours? (laughs) I had a baseball scout tell me that. And these guys pay attention to intangible things. And I don't know, I'll ask Padre fans out there, are you offended guys horsing around in the dugout as they're in fourth place and losing games to bad teams consistently? Yeah, I mean, that's a legitimate beef. I mean, because it goes to their their character and their will to win. You know, do they want to be a winner or do they want to be a joker? And 
you know, I think the results play out, right? On we go. On we go. So uh, this is from Skip Kelly. He says, Lee, my take on this is the Padres lead the world in stylish, cocky young players who have had, have had all the cool handshakes, etc. But they have zero leadership to tell all the cool guys to knock it off and uh, knock off the hot dogging and play hard. Their effort to score runs from third with less than two outs is a major sign of a lack of fundamental baseball. Well, I concur with you. I don't have any problem with the sombrero or the swag chain and the excitement because that's going on in a lot of dugouts in baseball. And I think that's kind of cool. I think fans like that uh, when their team does well and, and gets excited. But I, I question, quote, it, where's the where's the down and dirty leadership? Where's the guy that's going to stand up, pick up the flag and say, you follow me. We're going to go get this done. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen it a year ago when they forged their way into the playoffs. Petco Park was like an insane asylum <laughs> and the players were responding to mm-hmm. what was coming out of the stands. I mean, it was electric and you could connect the dots. We haven't seen that at all, even when the fans support. And all the sellouts were really, really impressive. And now those sellouts have been replaced by booze. Uh, there's something not right. And I don't know if it's if it's player leadership or it's manager's demand of leadership. Something's not right. Yeah, some of the players have to step up. You know, we got Nelson Cruz, you know, and Matt Carpenter, these veterans that we thought could provide that leadership in the clubhouse. It makes me wonder if maybe they've gone quiet. Vocal. You need vocal leadership, followed up, obviously, by productivity. Right. Okay. A couple more here before we close out fans form. This was a good one. This is from Jacob Northrow. He says, it was more fun when we had guys like Solarte and Amarista and Everth Cabrera and Corey Spangerberg go out there. At least you knew what to expect from them. This season has just been heartbreaking. It's like watching a Chargers game. Oh, I, won't, I won't go that far. <laughs> but, I, you know, he, he, he raised it. an interesting statement about... Guys, Spangenberg, I got to know him really well. I really liked him. You know the old Sesame Street cartoon character, Pigpen? Or uh, Peanuts. That's Peanuts, yeah. Peanuts, Pigpen. Yeah. yeah. That's who Spangenberg was. Really? He had dirt on the front of his uniform every minute of every game and diving and all that. Yeah. I don't see much of that. Outside of Tatis and maybe Kim, Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of guys grinding the way, you know, Spanchenberg did. Spanchenberg's just a utility guy. And, you know, so he gets 10 years in and he plays 103 games and sometimes he starts and bulk of the time he's off the bench as a pinch hitter, pinch runner, defensive replacement. But there's something from a persona standpoint that when you have that type of pig pen guy on your roster that creates an aura that leads to other guys to start to play like that, I don't see much of that and this year's Friars team. Well, that's what Tatis is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's what he did when he first came to this team. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You go back to those teams of Amarista and Spangenberg. They were all nice guys, the lovable Padres, but we had such low expectations then. And they were always a fourth or a fifth place team, except for 2010. They kind of surprised us a little. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm frustrated with this lineup today, but I would much prefer to be where we are now than where we were back when Amarista was our starting shortstop. Because where we are now... We still, with the Fab Four, think that maybe we could play in October. The other guys, our season would end September 30th. Yeah. That's the way it is. Okay. Exactly. Let's do one more here before we close out fans form. Okay, this is from Scott um, Bezai, and he says, This is on Bob Melvin. How is Preller even remotely at fault here? All he did was assemble the best players available to our collective amazement and praise. Melvin has, been, uh, has not been able to win with an A roster. Goodbye, Bo Mel, according to him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to hit the eject button on Bob Melvin because if they do, then it's a terrible indictment on Preller because from Bud Black through Bob Melvin, that would have then been four managers that were here mm-hmm. that he got rid of. And I'll just, I'll ask Scott, are you going to trust that general manager to conduct another managerial search and believe he could bring the right guy in? After what we've seen, I mean, this is the same group that refused to interview Dave Roberts Mm. after they axed Bud Black. And Dave Roberts is the all-time leading percentage winner of managers in Dodger history. Wow. And that includes (laughs) Lasorda. And that includes the great Smokey Alston. So I I don't know that they hit the eject button on this guy right now. And John... 
By the way, John is the one that threw the hand grenade towards <laughs> Petco Park's executive offices because John said if Preller fires Melvin, Preller should be fired too. Yeah, I, I think so. Because he, he, you know, he was well, the first manager was Bud Black, and you figure, okay, he had he got Matt Kemp and the Upton brothers, and it didn't work, and they moved on. All right, you say okay. Then he did this Andy Green, you know, hire, and we were like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe he could be a good guy. That ultimately failed. The third manager was the guy that filled Chase in. Tingler. Oh well, there was another guy, the guy that filled in for like a month, fifteen minutes. Yeah, and he's now I think Pat with the Murphy. Brewers. Pat Murphy. Yeah. yeah, that was ridiculous. And then he, this, the deal with Tingler was a reach, and everyone was saying, "Okay, let's trust Preller. He knew him from Texas." That failed. Okay, and then you go and get the guy that has probably the most respect in the league in Melvin. There is no next manager for Preller, in my opinion. Um, so I don't know. I still have a hard time blaming. Preller or blaming Melvin. They have some blame, but it ultimately comes down to the players and their desire to win and their ability to make adjustments in this game because Machado's still striking out on that, that slider down and away. Okay. John's of the opinion that the players will solve this situation. Well, they, I don't know if they'll solve it, but that's where the blame goes is to the players. Better solve it. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed what we do on Monday with our bonus coverage, what we do with our expanded Thursday podcast. Uh, reminder, please go to my website. If you like sports, you'll like, and I write about it every day. You got to check my one man's opinion column because you'll probably be pretty hot under the collar when you get done reading my <laughs> column that is on my website. Don't you love the internet? And reminder, share, tell everybody you know what we're doing. Live stream Monday and Thursday, what we do with our podcast. You get a chance, give us a thumbs up. If you're going to rate us, hey, we'll take five stars. We have no pride. And thanks to you, we busted through the 2000 level uh, in subscribers in the first eight months of this podcast. So we got this thing cooking. John, have yourself a great afternoon and evening. We'll see you come Thursday. Yeah, come Thursday. And like you said, maybe a sweep in Pittsburgh. Cross your fingers. Hey, nice to have you with us. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Talk to you on Thursday. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.